So if you want to hear about me and Tasha's insane fight with each other <laughs> that lasted three minutes, maybe total, I think join the Patreon. <laughs> Yeah. Telling it lasted longer than what it was. Yeah. It was it wild, just, though. It was a wild ride. It was a it mad was mouse. It was a wild ride, and I'm glad that we went through it, actually. Me too. Together. together. <laughs> okay. okay. We're touching fingers. Moving on. Let's All right. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season four, episode 17, Privilege. Mm. This is a pretty wild episode. It is. And like the characters and everything in it. There's a lot of people in this. So good. It's very white. It's snowy white this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the opening scene, there's this older woman talking on the phone in the backyard. She's fucking incredible. She's fucking amazing. She's in her (sighs) 70s, I think. So she's talking to her friend on the phone like, what does he want you for? Your pecan pies or your money? Love is nice, darling. But what does he really want? She's, yeah, she's like, if he only wants sex, I'm for it. Do it. I want to know who's on the other end of this phone. I love I, I know. Love it. Yeah, you have my blessing. You're pushing 70. How many rides are left on the merry-go-round? <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, she's so, like, get that dick, darling. <laughs> then she kind of like sees something dripping from one of her like tree things. Yeah. And it's blood and she's like, oh, there must be an animal up there. So she's still on the phone. She's got a fucking stick or something and she's poking at it. <laughs> pop, pop. <laughs> like, what is this in my azalea? All of a sudden, a fucking full ass human body falls out of the tree. She yes. like drops the phone and screeches. Yeah. Amazing actress. She was great. It was a great scene. It was basically, she should have been up for the same award that Tom Hanks was for when he was in Castaway. It was incredible. <laughs> and this also reminded me of how short the first scenes are sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then it brings me back to that jail episode with that Aaron guy. <laughs> And he's like, guards, guards. And it was like four minutes long. It was it was a J.R.R. Tolkien novel, the beginning of that fucking yes. episode. <laughs> One more step and it's the farthest of the Shia I've ever been. <laughs> so Benson and Stabler are at this lady's house. Coroner Warner is also on the scene. The dead person found in the tree was wearing a maid's uniform and had no fucking face. Yeah. Okay. So the homeowner, Mrs. Blundell, she lives alone, doesn't have a housekeeper. Corner Warner called them in because it looks like the victim committed suicide. She's covered in bruises and some are old, so she they think that she could have been abused over time. Mm-hmm. She's beat to shit, basically. They think that she fell from this fancy millionaire tower right behind the house. Yeah. Benson thinks the victim was raped, couldn't speak English because she's a maid. And I was like, wow, what a leap. Yeah. Jesus. Right. She has no face. They have no anything for that to make sense outside mm-hmm. of stereotypes yeah she's like i'm surprised she didn't call the rape in because she's a foreigner i was like i don't know how you okay i was really confused by this scene at first like how did this look like a suicide because this woman was in a tree or whatever and i forgot about high rises being over smaller buildings in big cities Mm -hmm. because they were standing over this window thing that's like oh yeah so she fell out of this giant building and then threw some like greenhouse glass into this woman's backyard Mm -hmm. stabler's like she either jumped or was pushed. Bum, bum. And the Trelliker Tower, millionaire heaven. It's like, yep. okay. There's a lot of buildings where rich people live in New York. Right. That also shows us that it's probably going to be the first person that we meet <laughs> in the rich <laughs> thing. Okay, so now Benson Stabler is speaking with Mr. Payson. He's the head of the security for the Lammerleys that live in the penthouse that they think she fell from. Mm-hmm. This dude mm-hmm. was in three other SVU episodes and... The happening. <gasps> what? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. 
If you see that happening, fucking deep dive, dude. Okay, sorry. You're like, I hate your deep dives, but also... <laughs> it's the happening. I will. So SVU tells them that they think the victim either jumped or fell from the penthouse after she was raped. Mr. Payson says no one was in the penthouse over the weekend and there were no signs of a break-in. The whole Lamerly family was all in Connecticut at the time. You know what? Can I stop you? Stabes and I feel a little apprehensive to take this guy at his word, by the way. Like, what in the conversation right now. We don't trust him, right, Gabe? Yeah. Okay. I mean, Stabes- why would we? He's like the first, he's the one that could like cover things up. Yeah. And Stabes tells him, he's like, we're going to have to look around regardless of everything that you're saying. The force he pushes back with wouldn't wake a baby, but Benny's not fucking around and says, why don't we just go grab a warrant and a news crew? Mm -hmm. So the doorman actually used to be a homicide cop for 20 years, which I think is interesting. Hmm. And this is where in my apprentices I wrote, he could make it look like a suicide. That was my early prediction. Yeah. He says he's going to go warn Mrs. Lammerly. So Mrs. Lamerly comes down the stairs to meet SVU. She tells him that all of their help had been off for the weekend. Now, if you're my parents, this is where you go, oh, it's Olivia Walton from the wholesome 70s TV series, The Waltons. Oh, yeah. I remember my parents being like, because they like The Waltons. Merv Griffin, just yeah. that, you know, fucking Dukes of Hazard. I don't even know. I, Dukes of Hazard might be too. I used to love that shit. That's it's all they watch. It's all they watch. They watch. What was is the, the Waltons the one where like the ending of the show it was at night and it was the house and they're like good night and the light turns off. Good night, John bleep. boy. Good night. Yeah. Fucking yeah. Daryl. Good night, George. Good night, Jeff. I don't know. Yeah. Jeff Walton. I want to. I, I just this means nothing to nothing. But she goes. All of the help had the weekend off. Gross. Yeah, I know. They're just like immediately letting us know that it's just white. I was going to say white trash, but I know that has a different connotation, but it's still the same different part of the dumpster, but white trash. (laughs) Mr. Payson will get the names and contact info for all of the employees. They go to the balcony. They have to get fucking CSU to come comb over the apartment and look at the security tapes and like do the balcony fingerprints, all that stuff. So these guys go out to the balcony with Mrs. Lammerly and she keeps looking over the edge to see where the victim fell. She's like, oh no, oh, what's going on? Ooh. And Tom Payson keeps popping his head and going, you guys, I don't know how she got out here. I don't know. Well, I guess you have no more questions for me. And he goes inside. (laughs) Benson's like, quit fucking touching the railing, Mrs. Lammerly or whatever. In the precinct, the whole gang goes over the case details. Munch, Toots, and Craigan discuss the Lammerly family, their old real estate money. Doug Lammerly inherited it from his dad. Doug's wife, Mrs. Lammerly, lives in Bermuda and barely comes home. The grandma, who we've been talking to, is a socialite, and there's only one son, Drew, who just got home from Europe. The doorman said there were no visitors over the weekend, but there aren't any cameras in the garage. Okay, so at 4.45 p.m. on Saturday, there's video footage of the victim using a key to get into the penthouse. We don't fucking see her face, and no one else goes in or out until Sunday evening. Craigan goes, any reports of missing servants? What fucking time period are we in? I heard that. I didn't even fucking take it in notes because I was like, what? I mean, I thought the lady, I was like, oh, they're using old white lady language when she Mm -hmm. called employees the help. But yeah, I just didn't understand the time period. Like, what are we doing? All the Lamerly staff are accounted for, so there's no ID for the victim. What will we do? What Stop we the do? episode. Toyota, I guess it's a cold <laughs> case. I didn't even write that down. That was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> the part that was the best in that was you were doing a lot of jazz hand wiggle finger work. <laughs> it was doing like the... <laughs> I guess it's done. I wrote a tap dancing number to fill in the rest of the time in the show. It's mostly shoulder work, to be honest. (laughs) 
So now we're in the office of the medical examiner. What? Corner Warner? She tells Munch and Toots that there was too much bone damage for facial reconstruction. Holy mm. shit. Yeah. So she's running prints, dental, and DNA. There were no drugs or alcohol in the Vic system. And she did find traces of spermicide and lubricant. So the perp mm -hmm. used a condom. There are also old bruises and strap marks, but there are also marks that have broken blood vessels and no bruising. So she was hurt before she died. Munch thinks that she was attacked and then jumped off the balcony. Toots thinks the victim, mm -hmm. quote, just liked rough sex. Mm -hmm. And Corner Warner's like, yeah, that's possible. Toots. What the fuck is going on this season? Every time you say that, you're proven wrong, and you still come with that. He like, still he he says it way too often. He's, he just it's, it's almost it. like he's projecting. He's like, well, some people like it real rough. I mean, not me, but like some people, you know. It's like he suggests it every time, regardless of the evidence. Yeah. Like a victim gets in a car accident, and he's like, oh, they were into fucking hard. A guy brings their Jimmy John's order to the precinct, and he's like, whoa, 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 you freak. <laughs> <laughs> oh god when he was like did you hit it raw and you're like ew Ugh. i don't know what whoa, you're whoa, jimmy johnson <laughs> get that pickle away from me i don't <laughs> like it <laughs> he's like fucking tobias in arrested development <laughs> yes <laughs> but he's constantly he's constantly like yeah making he's gay like, references and shit i blew like, myself <laughs> Put the, it's bangers and mash. Just put it in my mouth. Put that piping hot sausage in my mouth. Num, 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 num. <laughs> Which is fine, toots. Like, be into that. But don't project it and bring it into your fucking job. Not everybody, right. even though, like, he's right this time. But, like, not everybody. <laughs> any, kind, any kind of bruise, somebody falls off their bike and he's like, are you sure? Are you yeah. sure? It's like this lady didn't have a face. And he's like, she probably liked it. You're like, oh okay, God. what? So CSU also only found one of the victim's shoes. Corner Warner holds up a black patent leather heel. Like she's selling it on QVC. She mm -hmm. held it up like on a flat hand. She's fucking one of the girls on prices, right? And it's like $400. <laughs> Corner Warner also said that the shoes were high end and the stockings she was wearing were soups nice, which leads Toots to think, of course, that she's a sex worker, like a mm -hmm. high end S escort kind of sex worker mm -hmm. but also maybe she just liked to like feel good at where i don't know Anyway, back at the Lammerly penthouse, Benny and Staves are talking to Doug Lammerly and his mom. Doug Lammerly is played by the result of someone drawing Bradley Cooper from memory. Okay. <gasps> also, <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you. Whoa. Um, also, you got, you got 10 minutes. Not 10 minutes. <laughs> you got 10 minutes. <laughs> also, his speech pattern is very fancy. Some of these yeah. people, they're not even accents. It's just people's pattern of speech and way of speaking just interesting this episode doug thinks the victim is someone named anna she worked for them for a month and they fired her last week because she lied about her citizenship anna was given three months salary when she was fired okay pause three months salary after being fired for lying and only working one month yeah that was crazy no yeah so i'm like nah -uh, doug i got my eyes on you doug <laughs> she came down in a bubble doug <laughs> Everyone that I've talked to says it's Doug, by the way. Benson and Stabler show Doug a picture of Anna's black high heel, but Doug says he didn't notice her shoes. Sure, Jan. Who would? Who would? I would. You would? Really? Are you kidding? I would never notice the shoes that a person that was cleaning my house was wearing. If someone came into my house. I guess unless they were high heels. Yeah. And they were cleaning my house. If they were wearing like 
a classic to the knee maid's uniform that had a cinched in waist and that white collar that flops over. You know what I'm talking about? And yeah. the, the dress isn't even, it's not like French maidy, but it's like, it's like a gross blue, be- beigey blue color or whatever. Uh-huh. And then they had on stiletto, pointy toe, shiny ass, patent leather, black designer heels. Yeah, I'm going to know. I would, yeah. I would right. know that, yeah. I would for um, sure. Because I'd be like, where are your titties? <laughs> Where are your Crocs? (laughs) Benny points out that this woman specifically went to their place to die that day. So what's that about? She is not having anything Doug's selling. And he's like, Mm -hmm. are you fucking serious? Do you think I had something to do with this? That's how a fancy person talks to me. Mm -hmm. Benny asks about how well his son Drew knew Anna. And this dude does not appreciate their implications Mm -hmm. and starts i nevering her before his mom steps in and tells him to calm down and he's like we were all in connecticut yeah when grandma says to calm Mm -hmm. down and that the police are just doing their job this is my little thing where i thought i was like oh that's suspicious to me because whenever anybody says that they're Mm -hmm. like my note exact same mom goes Please don't shout. The police are just doing their job. Oh, bitch. You're mm-hmm. in on it, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we are killing this imaginary investigation. Right. Grandma tells Doug to go get Anna's old address. Yeah. Just then CSU Jeff Garland leans over the railing and is like, hey, Benny Stabes, come check this out. The prints on the balcony are weird. They match the prints on the door, but there's nothing else found in the apartment. Mm. Also, the prints on the balcony are smeared like she changed her mind and tried to pull herself back up. So the picture they painted was like she was hanging over the railing and her fingers were slipping like she was fucking Mufasa in The Lion King. Oh, sorry. Sorry I brought that up. Then Doug comes outside and gives Benson and Stabler Anna's address. Great. At Anna's apartment, Benny and Staves are talking to the landlord. He talks like Mac's mom from Always Sunny. That, yep, that's mm-hmm. it. I was trying and to figure out what the an, fuck that was. Oh, he looks like my old boss at this bar that I worked at. Dean, did you ever come into the plaza? Uh, a couple he's, times. He's got major Dean energy. This doesn't matter because nobody's going to know who I'm talking about except for, well, maybe some Madison listeners will. This guy's an SVU four-timer. He saw her the Tuesday before she died, okay? When she paid her rent. Anna was from Guatemala. She was quiet, clean. She paid her rent. Perfect. Benny kind of coldly tells him that she's dead. And he goes, oh, geez, what am I going to do with her stuff? I don't know. I'm like, but, Jesus Christ. I know. And Benny goes, why don't you send him to Guatemala? Uh, just mm. that they were both being dicks to each other in a weird way. Or I think he was kind of being more aloof, like not realizing that. I don't know. Yeah. Benny wasn't having whatever this guy was doing, though. Mm. Just then Stabler comes in holding Anna's hairbrush and toothbrush. <laughs> In a way that was really interesting to me. He wants to take them to the lab for DNA, but he's holding them like it's a fucking magnifying glass. Like the, the hairbrush, he's like looking through it. Uh, he's holding them like he's like he's Ricky Bobby not knowing what to do with his hands. He comes in with these. <laughs> it was cute. It was cute. In the ME's office, Coroner Warner can't get DNA off the brush or toothbrush because they've never been used. They're brand new. Good get, Stabes. <laughs> so Corner Warner shows Benson Stabler Anna's hands. There's a ton of little tiny cuts on her fingerprints, and she took some swabs. Benson points out that it's weird for there to be a bunch of little finger cuts on a maid. Mm. So it turns out the result of the swabs that Corner Warner took show acetone used to clean motion picture film. Anna may be a film student? Mm. In the precinct, the whole gang's going over the case facts. 
Toots confirms the Lamerleys were in Connecticut. The proof is Drew ran a red light and a traffic camera took a picture. Mm-hmm. Munch checked with film schools, but he didn't really find anything. But Benson has a lead. She may have gone by a different name, this Anna. Karen Trancoso. Karen Trancoso was supposed to screen her film at the new school, which is a university, and her project partner hasn't seen her since Saturday. Yeah, she never showed up. That's really the only lead that they have. So now we're at the new school. Benson and Stabler are talking with Susie. She shows Benson and Stabler to where Carmen's belongings were at a desk. This is her this actor's first acting job, and I've never seen that before when I look somebody up. This was a fucking launching pad for her because she goes on to be in a bunch this of stuff. This was a trampoline for her. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe I missed it. This is a trampoline. She fucking shot through that ceiling full of prints because she was in ER. She was in the L word. She's had a lot of like bigger roles oh. since this. And this yeah. was her first acting thing? Yeah. Very oh, first wow. job. She says Carmen is from Sao Paulo, Brazil and her English quote isn't too good. Benson finds a picture of Carmen on the desk and she's so pretty. Susie tells Benson Stabler that Carmen and her boyfriend recently broke up and she was super upset. Carmen told Susie that she was going to make her boyfriend pay. Guess who the fucking boyfriend is? Who? Drew Lamerly. Dun, dun, dun. Drew Lamerly. What a surprise. I didn't think we were going to see them again. <laughs> thought they were in Connecticut. In the precinct, Benny and Stabes are going over the case facts with Cragen. The DNA identifies the victim as Carmen, Drew Lamerly's ex-girlfriend. Anna, mm-hmm. who they thought was the victim, is gone without a trace. Okay. Mm-hmm. Customs has no record of her. Yeah. N- none at all. So we're resetting now. Carmen's dead, not Anna. We don't even fucking know who Anna is. Benny's like... <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me sometimes when I take my notes. So they're going over all this, and all of a sudden, Benny goes, well, 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 looky-loo, who's here poo It's Drew Lamerly. <laughs> he walks in. Music. Okay, I was so excited when I looked this guy up. He is a voice fucking icon, all right? He was Vic in Ah, Real Monsters. He was mm-hmm. an adolescent jaguar in The Wild Thornberries. Mm. He played, quote, additional voices in Hercules, and he's fucking Sid, the sadistic neighbor kid in Toy Story. Oh, see, his face looked really familiar. I think I've seen him in like movies or something. He's also got that white kid face. Like it's it's um 90s white kid face hair. I didn't really look at any of his live action stuff once I saw that he was Sid from Toy Story. Anyway, I hate what his face does when he's talking. He looks the way Kate McKinnon played Justin Bieber on SNL. Okay. <laughs> so he comes into the precinct and goes, I think I should make a statement. Carmen Trancoso, it's my fault she's dead. He was in this, I think I recognize him from this fucking like rollerblading Disney movie called (laughs) Brink. Okay. From 98. And he was in National Lapoon's Barely Legal. Okay. He's in Dinotopia. And Chuck Norris's top dog. Nothing matters. Let's go. Okay. In the interview room, Drew says that he and Carmen dated for a month, but it was super scary and intense. So he broke up with her. Um, And he kind of paints her as this pathetic hanger-on, which I hate. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to do that with women for some reason. Mm. I hate everything. Yeah. He goes on to tell them that Carmen called him on Saturday around 5.30 p.m. and begged him to see her. He told her to get a life and hung up the phone. He's like, oh, if I had just gone over there, maybe she'd still be alive. Drew also says that Anna is still alive. One of the other maids heard from her, and she said she went to Miami to check on her sick aunt. And my response to that is, phew, glad that's wrapped up, even though it's a little sketch. I was right! (laughs) 
Drew <laughs> thinks Carmen wore the maid uniform to get into the building because he had already told the doorman not to let her in. Mm-hmm. And she must have made a copy of his house key when he was sleeping. He goes, mm-hmm. she must have duped my house key. Okay. Yeah, that was weird. Drew does another lap telling Stabes it was a soup's intense relation. Stabler starts tossing autopsy pics of Carmen in front of him. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you call beating the crap out of her intense? Huh? You little prick. You did this to her. Tiny butthole mouth. He was not fucking having Drew, and I loved him for it. He's back on the top of my list. Mm-hmm. Drew jumps up and turns into Opie Taylor and goes, well, geez, mister, yeah, I suppose I did. I sure did do those things to her, but I'm telling you, she wanted me to. You gotta believe me. <laughs> and Tooth pops in and goes, I told you. <laughs> he didn't. Uh, Drew says that Tooth has like a fucking... <laughs> Like a tire on his neck. He's like, I told you, he likes that rough. <laughs> it's dick in his hand. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. He's wearing a gimp outfit. He's like, unzip. I told you. <laughs> he comes out of a fucking, he comes out of, of a fucking chest in the corner. <laughs> he propels from the ceiling in a sex swing. Yes. He's got like a the fucking motorcycle. It's just like a Tom Tom of Finland fucking wet dream. <laughs> he jumps into the room. He's covered in lube. He's soaking wet. He's got strap-ons all over his body. He looks like a fucking dildo Christmas tree. <laughs> a porcupine made of dildos. The camera pans out and he's <laughs> The camera pans out and you actually find out that he is the table. <laughs> He's on all fours. Yeah. His dick's in a bear trap. <laughs> See you guys. Told ya. <laughs> told ya. Some people are into that. I told Munch, you guys. Munch walks him out on a leash. <laughs> He's like, um, I told you guys, and then lights his hair on fire. He's like, I love it. <laughs> <sighs> All right, Drew. Drew. <laughs> we're back in here. <laughs> Drew says that Carmen wanted him to choke her, but he couldn't do it. And that's when he broke up with her. Mm-hmm, sure. She was into rough stuff. He wasn't. It was over. That sums it up. <laughs> in the precinct, everyone's going over Drew's story. It kind of checks out. It's confirmed with Corner Warner that the bruises were a sign of controlled violence. Mm-hmm. Stabler doesn't seem to trust Drew, though. I wonder right. why. <laughs> yeah. Cragen tells Toots and Munch to check into Drew, but, like, keep it chill, because they don't need the Lamelies complaining to the brass. Yeah. Do it quietly, because they're rich and white, and the brass mm-hmm. in my ass, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Benson's like, hold up, y'all, and finds three appointments in Carmen's date book with Roger Birnbaum. Benson calls the number and finds out that Birnbaum is a personal injury lawyer. Carmen was going to sue somebody. Mm-mm, Who could mm-mm. it possibly be? I don't know. So Benson and Stabler are talking with Birnbaum. He was Sexy Larry in the four-time award-winning 1998 John Cryer film. Went to Coney Island on a mission from God. Be back by five. That's a whole thing in itself. It won awards, you said? It, it four. It won four awards. First of all, it jumped out at me that he played a guy named Sexy Larry. Okay, obviously. And then I'm like, what is this movie? Went to Coney Island on a mission from God. Be back by five. Like, that's too much. 
mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, John Cryer was in it. It's an actual movie with somebody that people know. It won four awards. It, yeah. Weird. I just kept hitting layers of like, what the fuck is this? But he was proud. He No, that's a dick thing to say. I'm like, he played Sexy Larry the way yeah, somebody call- would play Tiny. I was, in a biker I was game. just gonna say fucking tiny, <laughs> yeah. like with the way a six foot four guy is called tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> weird. He tells Benson Stabler that he can't tell them why he met with Carmen without her permission, and then Stabler's like, "Well, she's fucking dead." Yeah. He was like, "Oh my god!" So Carmen was suing Drew for a large settlement for raping her, but she didn't have a good case against him. He didn't know if he believed that she had been raped, but he did know that he had hurt her pretty badly. Mm-hmm. Which okay. Yeah. You're her lawyer. She's coming to you. I don't know. I didn't yeah. like I mean, that. They, they asked. They asked him if they believed her, even though I don't think they should have even asked her. No. Whatever. Or asked him. I mean. Yeah. She told him that she tried to break up with him, and he raped and beat her, but she refused to report it to the police because she was scared it would mess with her student visa. Mm-hmm. And then Sable was like, "Well, you took the case anyways, even though it wasn't like solid." And he was like, "Yeah, I was pretty sure the Lamelies would settle because they wouldn't want the publicity, like hush money stuff." Now Betty and Staves have to go back to the penthouse to meet with Lamerly attorney dad lamerly and kid lamerly are there too so doug and drew Mm -hmm. benny and staves let them know they're coming from carmen's lawyer's office and this lawyer dude their lawyer has you know how people have like a sibilant s or a lisp or whatever she has the kind of s that sounds like like it has an h with it Mm. so she goes how is mr delisle hit by any ambulances lately (laughs) <laughs> he's sad he won't be trying his case why does me and giving an impression of her sound like jim carrey's the grinch <laughs> uh the detectives tell her that he said he won't be trying the case and she goes oh, oh pity just when he thought the gravy train had stopped at his station <laughs> the g train has left the station baby and then all of a sudden everybody's like Drew insists that he didn't rape Carmen and that the marks on her were consensual. And Benny's like, prove it. Mm -hmm. And then Toots pops in and he's wearing a saddle. (laughs) He's like, to the precinct, top on all of you. (laughs) All of you, all the weight that you can put on me. It's fine. I can handle it. Lammerly's lawyer is way ahead of them on the proving Mm -hmm. it part. She has affidavits from three of Carmen's previous boyfriends. She says two of which she picked up in bars. What the fuck does that mean? Yeah. Isn't that where you meet people in your early 20s? Like, that's the only place I met people I didn't know was at the bar. Right. Right. Yeah, I don't think that's weird at all. It's a weird judgment statement to make. Mm -hmm. So all of these exes say that Carmen was an animal. The rougher the sex, the better. At the precinct, Craig and Benny are doing a walk and talk. Benson's on one because she's rightfully annoyed that the Lammerleys are just spinning Carmen to be a, quote, gold-digging whore and are just circumventing everything that comes at them. Munch and Stabes walk in to fill in the gaps on Drew. He's an average rich kid, no former girlfriends with any rape accusations, popular, played mm-hmm. varsity sports, had some traffic violations, nothing that stands out except that he didn't graduate high school. Mm-hmm. Craigan's like, this sounds like it's going to be a waste of time. And the only lead that we have is to see why Drew didn't graduate graduate high school if we don't get anything there case closed i bet mm-hmm. they find something i bet you they do I, oh my god what if this was just the intro and not even the case yet oh god 
They've done it before. At Radley High School, Benson and Stabler are talking to the principal. Couple of things about this dude. He has a fantastic speaking voice. And if he were a cartoon animal, he would be a grandpa bunny. I thought about what animal he would be for way too long and decided that I need to develop an app or a filter that scans your face and tells you what animal you are. Um... (laughs) Anyway, this I, I'll do that on the side. I'll start. I'll figure out how to fucking code an app. Do you remember those little fuzzy animals in the 80s that we had where they'd be like, the mom would be wearing a little like apron and Mm-mm. they'd be like, it, I, it reminded me of that, like a little grandpa with little round glasses. Ugh. And also like, oh, I just wish I wish I could project what was in my brain when I saw this guy. And then I was like, oh, my God, you're a grandpa bunny. But like. <laughs> rabbit from Winnie the Pooh so he's standing on his hind legs and then they go up the stairs but he hops a little bit and his legs are really long and big (laughs) also the coolest thing about this guy as far as I'm concerned is he opens the door for Benson Stabler to come into his office and it's a fucking giant secret door bookcase Oh, I didn't even notice that. You didn't see that? No. I was like, oh my god, that is my fucking dream. I have chills right now. (laughs) What a cool guy. Um, Also, yeah, Yeah. he's not, I mean, it's obviously a private school, so he's not a principal. He's the head of school. Mm -hmm. I swallowed that. Yeah, I did. Uh, He's the head of school. (laughs) Anyway, this guy says Drew was expelled for bringing a, quote, very attractive older woman as his date to prom. The kind of woman you don't bring home to mom, implying that she was a sex worker, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. He sums up the expulsion by telling them that Drew and his date got drunk, got into a fight, and she called the cops to report him for assaulting her. The charges were eventually dropped against Drew, but that's something they could look into. Yeah. The charges were dropped, but they still had to kick him out of school because there's like a strict no alcohol thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had to do with the alcohol, not him assaulting a woman. I know. That's what I thought it was like. He doesn't remember the lady's name because it was like five years ago. Mm-hmm. He's probably like, I think it was Whore McHoe. <laughs> it looked like it anyways. Jesus. Benson and Stabler go to check assault charges at the responding police department from Drew's prom. So the assault paperwork was filed, but it magically disappeared, of course. Mm-hmm. The only thing that Benson could find was a card linked to the charges that has the woman's name on it. Jenny White, 24 years old. She refused medical treatment and she has an address. When they said older woman initially, I was picturing like Blanche from the Golden Girls. Yeah. Or the hoe one from Sex and the City. <laughs> the one that like jazz scats with her husband or whatever. What's her name? The one um, who won't I, be in stuff anymore with Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, uh, Carmen uh, Kim Cattrall. Yes, that's who I. That's Samantha. who I pictured. Also, if if um she's twenty four now and it was five years ago, she was what nineteen. Yeah, older woman, and it was his senior prom. He was seventeen or eighteen. Anyway, yeah, that seems Benny and Stabes go to said address. They go to talk to Jenny. And they talk to this woman at the door who says that she doesn't know anyone named Jenny White. This lady, her name is Camilla, and she looks like a lady who fucking, first of all, loves a blowout. Also, Mm -hmm. this is what I pictured when the head of school, Grandpa Rabbit, said attractive older woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She says, Yeah. yeah. She says, well, I've lived here for 20 years and none of that tracks. I'm sorry. Dude, what? If... I was the dean of that school or the head person. Yeah. A fucking 17, 18 year old kid brought in this lady. Yeah. I would be like, no, 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 no. Let it play out. I got to see what happens. (laughs) I got to see what's going on. What is this? Yeah. And the fact that 
the ca- I didn't even do the math of like five years ago, she would have been 19. How would you even notice? And oh, the, whatever. Maybe she was 24 at the time. Maybe. Rather than. Yeah. Which would mean now she's like. Yeah, you know what? 29. No, it would. Yeah, she that was 24 sense. at the time yeah. because then when they do meet her, she's. Anyway. Yeah. So this woman is at the door talking to these detectives and we're like, oh, it must be the wrong place or whatever. Just then a Sopranos mm-hmm. extra comes from behind her out the door and she gives him a kiss on the cheek and says, oh, see you at six, Frank. And the guy mm-hmm. doesn't interact with anyone at all. And I'm like, question mark, bubble above my head. Mm-hmm. Close the door. They think it's nothing. I thought it was just her like crabby husband. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the detectives go to leave when a young blonde woman is walking up. She's about to go into the house that they're leaving. She's at the bottom of the stairs with this dude. She sees the detectives and goes to the guy that she's with like, oh, let's um, let's just go get some coffee. What's Taylor looks at Benny then and goes, looks like one of Miss Hartnell's girls decided not to come home. This place is a brothel. And he spins yeah. on his heel and knocks on the door again. This time they're way fucking sassier. Mm-hmm. They threaten Miss Hartnell. First of all, it's got to be his training and his experience that led him to that conclusion <laughs> so quickly because <laughs> i was like yeah. huh it's, this place yeah. is a brothel okay mm-hmm. it was the same thing i was like wow okay yeah but they deal with it way more than i do so i guess that I, doubtful <laughs> <laughs> they threaten miss hartnell that they're going to call vice if she doesn't tell them where jenny white fucking is mm-hmm. and she's all you think i give a shit about vice i'll make one phone call they barge in and start telling girls to line up and tell them it's a raid. Okay. It's funny because she like couldn't even get through the word phone. She's like, I'll make one phone call. And Benson's like, you do that. Bye. <laughs> they just like fucking push her like pie face her to the ground. They're like, ladies, line up. This is a raid. And they're just in there yelling. And I'm like, can they do that? I mean, they saw a woman on the stairs. It's just, there's got to be something that means that they can, because they would never just bust into like a residence. They would find a tricky way to get inside. Probable cause. They're probably like, if we're wrong, which we're not, because we know a lot, but if we're wrong, we'll just ask for forgiveness instead of permission. They're like, do I smell weed? I'm coming in or whatever the fuck they do. So Miss Hartnell gives in and she's like, okay. I'm sorry, is that... Is that pussy? This is a brothel. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> That's what I should have said. So Miss Hartnell just gives in then. She's like, I'm not dealing with these people busting in here. Jenny White stopped working here three years ago. She married some rich guy named Angus Rochester. Mm-hmm. This lady and her door knocker Chanel earrings let them know that they probably aren't going to get shit out of Jenny now. Not the way she's living. I love the way she said it, too. She's like, I think you'll find she's similarly disinclined to remember the past. Mm-hmm. And I did clock those fucking Chanel earrings are huge. Oh, my God. Benny and Stabes walk up on Jenny uh, at a park. Holy fuck. It's Sarah Wayne Callies. She's a needed dick from Letterkenny, which I just binge the shit out of. Have you watched that yeah. yet? No, you haven't. I Not all you. of it. Not okay. all of it. But, um, Anita yeah. Dick is the Amish wife and they're, they just, they, they make so many sexual innuendos, but it's all unintentional and mm-hmm. it's really, it's really great. She's also Lori from The Walking Dead and Sarah. That's from, where, yes, that's it. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out who the fuck she was. Yeah. yeah. She's also Sarah from Prison Break. That's a big role that she had. And also she is gorgeous. This woman is yeah. flawless. Mm-hmm. She tries to pretend to two SVU detectives that hunted her down in the 11th largest city in the world that she doesn't know what they're talking about when they say, hey, Jenny White. Duh, Jenny. Okay. (laughs) All of a sudden, we see her husband carrying their toddler and yells to her like Stabler does when he's trying to catch a runaway. He's like across the park and goes, Jen, 
<laughs> and Stabler's like, listen, we don't care about your shit or your past. He like the husband's walking up and they're trying to get this hush conversation in before he gets up mm-hmm. there because she makes it pretty obvious that she's like, oh, it's my husband. Oh, mm-hmm. because her past is a secret in their minds at this point. Mm-hmm. Stabler's like, listen, we don't care about your shit or your past. Did Drew Langley rape you? And she's like, fucking yeah, he did. But the second my husband gets over here, I'm going to deny it. Yeah, she's like, if you ask me anything in front of my husband, I'm I'm not a lie. Yeah. Stabler gets a call, and while he's on the phone not talking at all, Benson says to Stabler, who just got a phone call, so Drew's going to get away with it again. Stabler hangs up and says, maybe Drew's luck just ran out. I mean, I don't know, because you were talking while I was on the call, but we'll find out. The whole scene was bizarre. Mm -hmm. You're an SVU detective. These phone calls come in. They're three milliseconds long and you talk over it. I assume there's a room full of like call center people that have to call this information out to police officers. Mm -hmm. And I bet you that department has the highest suicide rate. (laughs) Yeah. My feelings would just be constantly hurt. Just crushed. It's my job. It's my job. In the Taru lab, Benny and Stabes are talking to Tarubin, and he had set up a simulation of the fall and decided that she had been pushed from the balcony. I love this scene. I love any scene where they're looking like fucking precogs figuring out what happened. Mm -hmm. Benny and Stabes get this information from Tarubin, and then they're reenacting it. They're (laughs) reenacting it in the most bizarre way also, where Stabes is Carmen and Benny is Drew, and Stabes is like, looking off into the distance so he's like oh my god so she gets up against the rail and he's holding a desk like he's up against the railing not making eye contact with anybody and then benny comes up and leans into him like she's um and the whole world's like will they or won't they yeah (laughs) it's it's one little nugget of that that they do it's a sprinkle and she's leaning into him like she's a kid at football practice leaning into the that tackle fucking thing that tackle stand whatever that you push yeah that you push against like her shoulder but she stops there and she's like and then he is pushing against her the whole time and then gives her a big push and then stabler imitates flailing arms falling back (laughs) it was just slowly it was so weird we get it guys we get it right so yeah they're like oh my god she was pushed 100 percent. we know that drew's a piece of shit so we're thinking they're putting everything together okay yeah with her like with the wind speed Mm. (laughs) her weight her height the trajectory of the fall Mm -hmm. if she had slipped she had fallen like five feet somewhere else yeah yeah she wouldn't have made it as far as she did like outward i wonder how that lady's feeling right now i wish i could check in on her oh my god you know what this lady is from the generation like my grandma where the cops left and she's like where are my nerve pills (laughs) right (laughs) and then she gets back on the phone with diane or what was the she's like did you fuck (laughs) him You wouldn't believe the day I had, but tell me about this date with Arthur. (laughs) In the precinct, Benny and Staves are going over all these findings with Craig and in a walk and talk. They're convinced it's Drew. We all are. But Craig is like, "Mm, oh, we just have the two victims. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Just the two victims. So we just have the two victims then? Hmm. It's a white guy. So there's only two victims. Mm. Maybe we just leave it alone. Staves is concerned that they won't know how many other victims were bought off for their silence. Toots is checking in to see what happened with the assault report Jenny White filed that happened to disappear. Quote, disappear, yeah. CSU found the other black high heel in a tree a block from the scene and they're running tests. Okay, I don't believe you, but sure, let's suspend reality they found the shoe why was the block away because of the height that she fell from and she was pushed and her shoe flew off uh, yeah the the trajectory and the wind speed i forgot yeah, yeah. and it just boo 
kicked it up. So between her kicking and being pushed and all of that, the shoe landed in a tree a block away. All right, so CSU finds this other high heel, right? They also are trying to figure out how the fuck Drew ran a red light in Connecticut at the time that Carmen was supposedly pushed off the balcony. Oh, what's this? The picture they got from the red light camera shows someone with a hat on. Can't prove it's Drew. Enhance. Enhance. (laughs) Craig goes over to Munch. I don't like this immediately. He's like, is there some work you could be doing, assuming that the TV he's watching isn't work-related or something? I got defensive for Munch because he's Mm -hmm. always working. Always. Yeah. Actually, D. Craig's, Munch is just over here discovering a crucial plot point, okay? He shows Craigan that the security footage was tampered with based on how the hand of the clock jumps forward by 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. The doorman had told them a repairman from a security company came by on Sunday. The mm-hmm. 530 call they assumed was from Carmen to Connecticut. Oh my God. Actually must have been Drew calling his dad to tell him what happened. Benson says Drew was waiting there. He calls Connecticut to tell his dad what happened. Dad runs the red light in Drew's car to place him in Connecticut and fucking cover for him. Mm-hmm. Now Staves has a thought. Drew had to have help. He left no sign of himself, but made sure evidence of Carmen was there. There's too many working parts. Yeah. Right. Toots, surprise, jumps out from behind Munch. We didn't even know he was in the room. He came out from behind him like he was a cartoon ghost coming out of Munch's body. <laughs> <laughs> he tells them that the cop that did Jenny's report five years ago was Tom Payson, the mm-hmm. Lammerly's head of security. Uh-oh. Remember him? Yep. Mm. He was in the beginning. He was actually an old cop for 20 years. Remember? The one that we didn't trust right off the bat? Oh. Mm-hmm. So now they've got Tom Payson in an interview room. Munch and Toots are in there giving it to him. The detective. So these guys are just doing their Munch and Toots thing where they're going over the possible cover up scenarios, but they're doing it in a way that's like, oh, you wonder if this? Oh, you wonder if that? Like the cute way that they do it. Mm-hmm. And they're also implying through all of it that they think Tom is connected. And he's like, <laughs> I got to hand it to you guys. Yes, VU. I thought you were just the panty police, but you're right up there. And Munch bites and goes, up where? And he goes, dreamland. Ha ha. Like, burn. <laughs> Not a good joke. Daryl Hammond, also drawn from memory. <laughs> <laughs> This whole time, Tom's being a condescending prick. He gets up to leave and Munch and Toots get in his face and make him sit back down. Tom You tampered with fucking evidence and hindered a police investigation. You're fucked. Mm -hmm. He also calls them dumb bastards at one point. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) He He was like, you're a bunch of dumb bastards and like then gets up to leave. His dialogue is about as high quality as Toots in the last episode when he's like, the triangle thickens. Here he's like, you're right up there in dreamland. (laughs) Now we're at the Lammerly estate in Connecticut. Benson and Stabler are met by the grandma, Mrs. Lammerly, who says Doug isn't back from the city yet. She's like, I'm sorry, I'm on my way out with Drew. We're going to another charity event. Zip me up, buster. (laughs) Drew all of a sudden walks in and is like, what's going on, Cam Cam? (laughs) <laughs> they tell him <laughs> they tell him they know about the cover up. The grandma does not believe them. They ask her if she knows Jenny White and she's very upset and sits down. Okay, this conversation, this entire conversation that they have with mm. grandma would never happen with people like this IRL. Immediate lawyer, she would wouldn't entertain this for a half second. 
Yep. Grandma's like, oh my God, I knew this would all come back to bite us. She tells Benson Stabler that she thinks Drew should take his punishment for hurting Jenny. He should have to do his time, but like in a mental hospital for what he did. Mm-hmm. She didn't say anything before when this happened because she was trying to protect her grandson. You understand. But she insisted he got help by going to a mental hospital for six months before going to Paris where he went to school, right? Mm -hmm. He was a child. He's grown up now. And then Drew fucking says, I didn't fucking kill her. Tom Payson killed her. They're a security guy. Yeah. He was obsessed with her. And how can I make you believe me? Can I take a fucking polygraph? Fun twist. (sighs) Mm Mm-hmm. Benson and Craig are on the other side of the glass in the fish police precinct. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're both dead because it's full to the brim with water and they're humans. (laughs) Stay... uh, Benson's like, for sure we're in water now, right? (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Huang is there. He's doing a pre-test questioning with cards to show Drew how it works when they start. One of the test questions was Huang just trying to get a baseline. And he asked Drew how his relationship is with his parents. And he was like, man, we're, I don't know, fine. And he specifically said mutually indifferent. Like we kind of are ships passing in the night. We don't really interact with each other. We don't see each other that often, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Drew says he did force Jenny to have sex with him. Huang asks him about Carmen. He says he didn't kill her or rape her. So in the precinct, the squad's going over the polygraph tests. Huang shows them the results. And according to the test, he's being truthful about not raping or killing Carmen. But fucking Wong doesn't believe him, though. He thinks that Drew knew how to change his like physiological response to questions mm-hmm. and was taught how to do it. Like putting a rock in your shoe or fucking ramping yourself up during the pre-questions. Wong thinks that Drew fooled the machine. Yeah. And he like goes over all of it and points it out where he's like, see how this response was like this. And then the response to this question, which should have been up a little bit higher, is like way low. Like that's. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. evidence of him being able to fuck with it which is like sociopath shit right so toots and munch come into the squad room payson denied killing carmen they're like we expected him to go ah shit (laughs) right craigan says they have to place drew on the balcony or they ain't got shit you know how many times craigan in this episode is like you got to find this one thing or we ain't got shit (laughs) you're like dude you have a lot of stuff should we just drop it you guys should we just drop it i don't want to deal with the brass to mulligans yeah stabler gets a call oh my god csu found something in the crime scene lab oh my god this scene is the reason people think that every crime is solvable yeah in the crime scene lab carmen shoe carmen shoe had a little tiny piece of blue suede on it by the way that blue suede after being tested not made in the u.s They need to fucking match the suede. The guy's like, you give me the jacket, I can fucking match it. It is so far-fetched. It's like, you get me the jacket, I can match it. I'm trying to make it rhyme. (laughs) It's going to work. Bring me the jacket, we're going to match it. Now we're in the fucking huge Lammerly estate. Benson and Stabler have a warrant to search Drew's room. Oh my God, immediately Benson finds the blue suede jacket in Drew's closet. And there's a little fucking heel mark. It made an indent. The evidence! They need it! Stabler arrests him for murdering Carmen. And Grandma's by the door just with her mouth open. Yeah. In Cabot's office, the Lammerly lawyer, Mona, walks in and asks if Cabot wants a deal. Cabot's like, oh, you're fucking giving up already? Jeez. (laughs) So Mona's deal, she wants manslaughter in the second degree of five years. I'm fucking 40 years old. (laughs) Just the way you're like, and jeez. (laughs) Every time you do it, I laugh. Every time you do your little... (laughs) 
Mona wants fucking manslaughter in the second degree, five years in a mental institution. Cabot's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Is that a joke? No, murder in the second degree, 25 fucking years. Mona gives Cabot the psych eval documents and says she plans to use the, quote, not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect, along with a statement about being abused by his dad. Brutalization. What the fuck? Just to get a lesser sentence. Mm-hmm. In the precinct, Cabot and Huang are talking about the psyche eval. Huang goes on about the theory of brutalization with Cabot and Benson. It's a theory that child abuse or witnessing abuse can lead to violent crimes later in life. Cabot's like, dang, if there was only a thing that he said on record out loud that would help us. And Huang's like, oh my God, you guys. Drew said that he and his father were mutually indifferent before the polygraph started. Does that help? And Craig jumps in and he's like, you better make that one thing work or this isn't going to be shit. Yeah. And Toots pops in and he's like, it's okay to play with shit. Everybody has different kinks. <laughs> you guys are all probably in shit. I'm not. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> okay. So now we're in the trial. The Lammerly lawyer Mona questions grandma about Drew's childhood. She goes on to say that he was severely punished by Doug if he didn't succeed. If he even lost a fight. Yeah. Drew's mom didn't step in because she was really scared of Doug and she ended up becoming an alcoholic and has been in a rehab facility in Bermuda for the last five years. Can you be in rehab for that long? Um, If you're rich, you can do whatever you want. Together between the lawyer and grandma, they're painting this picture of Drew's sad childhood and the camera mm-hmm. cuts to Cabot and she is hard side leaning and side-eyeing the entire performance. She's like, this fucking bitch is a joke. Yep. Grandma tells the court that Doug once broke Drew's arm by throwing him down a flight of stairs after Drew got in a fight at a hockey game but lost the fight. Yeah, he was punishing him for... Losing the fight. Losing the fight, not for getting in a fight. Which, it wouldn't be okay either way, but it just shows even more the level of violence. Mm -hmm. So the next time Drew got in a fight, he took it violently too far. So they're implying that his dad's lessons made him that way. Yeah. So now Cabot is questioning grandma. She starts to bring up the interview with Huang, but it's thrown out because Huang is a psychiatrist and Mona is saying that it's privileged information. And there's an expectation Um, of privacy, even though mm -hmm. it was like a precinct psychiatrist right and the judge agrees with mona so cabot says do you have examples of how doug taught drew to rape women grandma tells the court that doug would take drew to sex workers starting at the age of 13 and he would say quote buy a woman you can do anything you want to her Mm. in the precinct cabot's going over the trial with benny and staves and daddy craigs the evidence supports the brutalization claim. Cabot goes, oh, if Drew was a gang kid with no dad and a mom who was on crack, we wouldn't blame them for using an environment defense. Yeah, Cabot, we might not blame them, but it wouldn't make a difference whatsoever. Like, look at Mm -hmm. the prison population, dude. It's annoying that she brought that up because it's like, not because I'm defending these fucking rich privileged white people like navigating their way through the loopholes of the system but because it's like we wouldn't blame them for using this if they were da 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 this person wouldn't even have this level of a fucking trial you know what I mean for sure they wouldn't even have a lawyer that could defend them with that they would fucking they get, wouldn't need warrants they wouldn't I mean they would just walk in and be like a fuck whole, you, yeah, you know? this, this, yeah this kid would already be in jail if this was a quote gang kit we know what you're implying here okay Craig and ask Cabot what they can do he's like tell me what we can do or this case is over <laughs> Cabot goes, okay, we need to prove that there were times Drew acted violently without being provoked. And Craigan's like, but who will testify against him? Who? Is this just over? I'm calling it. It's dead. We were so close, you guys. Mulligans? 
I need like four half beers. That's two whole beers. Oh, should we get a beer? No, I'm driving. I'll just have two halves. <laughs> they have to get Jenny White to testify against Drew. Yeah. So now Benson and Stabler are outside of fucking Jenny White's house. They're trying to get her to testify against Drew. She fucking refuses. The lighting is incredible. She looks gorge. She does. Well, just then her husband comes out of the house and he's like, what's going on? He knows about Jenny's past. Yes. And that fucking surprised Jenny to hear him say that. Did it? Yeah, her face. She didn't know because she, she was like, like she thought that he didn't know. He's like, I know about her past. And she was like, oh. <laughs> and Benson says, maybe you don't know the whole story. And he's like, she's my fucking wife. Try me. On the surface, this dude is fucking great. He's hot, too. In the precinct, Jenny and Angus sit across from Benson and Stabler while Jenny tells them about what happened at Drew's prom. They were there. It felt like a regular date. And then he wanted to have sex. And she's like, OK. So they're doing it. She's doing her fucking job. And mm -hmm. Drew just starts fucking smacking her around. He slaps her and goes, I'm not paying you to enjoy it, bitch. And I'm like, she was <laughs> pretending anyway, you fucking dick. <laughs> but OK. Right. That's not the worst part of what he was doing, but also, but it's just annoying. It's just annoying. She's like, she was doing it for your benefit. You think she was like super into it, you seventeen-year-old little fuck? Oh my god, can you imagine a little fucking pimply-ass tween Ugh. like fucking being like, I'm not paying you to enjoy it. Newsflash: I don't like this or you. <laughs> Thank you for the money. You're not even close to my vagina. <laughs> Quit darting your lizard tongue in and out of my mouth. <laughs> You're like literally describing the one this one time I took this guy's virginity when I was a kid. So after this initial him being like, I'm not paying you to enjoy it. Drew starts to hit her over and over again. And this consensual thing turned into rape. Mm hmm. Because somebody can say no at any point during a sexual encounter. None of this was talked right. about, but like, yeah. it was very clear that this went from one thing to a different thing. I mean, there's still a school of thought that people think that sex workers can't be raped. It's disgusting, but it's whatever. Right. Drew had been like this with other women that Jenny had worked with, but he was younger, like 13 or 14 when he was acting like that. So he was, quote, he was like easier, easier to, to deal, deal with. with. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had a moment where I go, isn't that just child abuse? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a whole other can of worms of like, mm -hmm. you know, a, a sex worker taking a client that's 13. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Stabler goes, oh, when his dad started bringing him in. And Jenny goes, no, that was the sickest thing about him. And I'm like, it was? Drew was brought to the brothel by his grandmother. Oh my she God. would pick his girls for him. Choo what? choo, all aboard the twist train, everybody. <laughs> this shit just got more. I don't know. <laughs> and the last twist it was like the last minute of the fucking episode. Yeah. But Anna's. Oh, okay. So now Drew is on the stand. Mona's questioning him. He's telling the court what happened before Carmen's death. He tells Mona it was over and Carmen screamed at Drew, hit and kicked him. So he kept pushing her until she fell. And he's like, I didn't mean to kill Carmen. Something inside me snapped, which is exactly oh. what they wanted him to say. Yeah. Cabot is now asking Drew how he broke his arm playing hockey. And then just at that moment, Jenny and her husband walk into court. 
Cabot's got all kind of evidence from witnesses at his school that it was from hockey and it wasn't actually from his dad pushing him down the stairs. Yeah, the teacher and the head of school both signed affidavits saying that they remember that is when he broke his arm playing hockey because they were worried about a lawsuit, which Mm -hmm. makes complete sense. Cabot points out Jenny and asks if Drew recognizes her. He's like, no. But Cabot has Jenny's affidavit from Jenny's rape that he attacked and raped her without provocation. And then Drew's lawyer is like, I object. And then the judge rejects the affidavit. He's like, you can't just bring in new stuff. Right. Which is, I get that. But also, it's really important. Yeah. But that happens all the time, I guess. Where they can't. He's like, strike it from your memory, jury. Fucking Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones are like, we got it. I kind of like love and hate that tactic where they say a bunch of shit. They're like, I object. And they're like... Glad I got that in. Yeah. But if they do it too much or if they're known for doing it, a judge will be like, watch yourself, counselor. I'm aware Mm -hmm. of what you're doing. Not in my court. (laughs) Not in my court. (laughs) Cabot asks Drew repeatedly who took him to the brothel. Then grandma's like, she realizes that they know. And she gets up, starts yelling. And she's like, oh, that's... And collapses. If, if you didn't make a noise just now, that is the exact noise I was going to make. Oh, she fell to the ground. <laughs> Drew jumps up to attack Cabot. And he's like, how could you do this, you bitch? And he's getting held back and mm-hmm. taken out of the courtroom, yelling at Cabot like, you're going to pay for this. Nana! Get me home! Cabot's like, she actually like does one of those like, whew. Intense. He's coming at her. Yeah. Now we're at the Lamerly estate. Benson and Sam go to speak with Drew's grandma. She's in a fucking wheelchair. I roll. I roll. Okay. You down a hill when I push you, you bitch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they start to arrest her for conspiracy and perjury, et cetera, et cetera. And she's like, you can't prove a damn thing. Turns out they're like, yeah, we can. Fucking your son, Doug, told the cops everything. I Wait. forgot about Doug. Dude, yeah, no. It, so <laughs> she's like, you can't prove a damn thing. All of a sudden, her son Doug walks in. And he's like, I told the cops everything. He says, I let you turn my son into a monster. She fucking stands up quick out of the wheelchair and starts chewing out Douglas. Yeah. And they arrest her and they pull him off. And she's yelling shit like, fuck, you don't know shit. You're not shit. You ain't shit. I keep this family together. You're a piece of shit. You've and always like, been shit. Yeah. Yeah. And Doug's like. I did the right thing. That's what yeah. his eyes were saying. And that's that's it. That's fucking Toyota right there. Toyota. So good. It's a good episode. It was I liked fucking, it. I loved everything about it. All the little twisties. I'm gonna do this chaser. So of all the white people in all the world, nobody is more famous for getting away with shit than the fucking Kennedys, right? Dude, I was wondering who you're going to do this on, and that's fucking perfect. Of course it would be the Kennedys. Yeah. Of fucking course. Yeah. I mean, this this could be... There are so many details and so few details to every one of these stories just because there's so much covering shit up that they do. Yeah. It's just it's just amazing. Whatever. Didn't didn't you already do the one where the guy... The... I did, and I mentioned it. Oh, okay, uh, cool. Chappaquiddick. Yeah. So, Chappaquiddick, that's right. And he's in this. Anyway, uh, so I'll, I'll just get into it. On the evening of Good Friday, March 29th, 1991... Then Senator Ted Kennedy, Patrick Kennedy, and William Kennedy Smith were out getting rowdy in Palm Beach, Florida. We've already talked about Ted Kennedy when we covered Chappaquiddick in SVU Pod episode 19. 30 year old medical student William went by Willie, and his mom, Jean, was JFK and Teddy's sister. Okay. He wouldn't just go by Will Smith because he's a fucking Kennedy, you know? So he's mm-hmm. Willie Kennedy Smith. 
So on this Good Friday, this super holy Catholic day, Willie and his uncle Ted and cousin Patrick are out partying at this bar called Aw Bar. It's like A-U, I wonder if it was like French or something, A-U bar, Aw Bar. Hmm. While there, Smith met 29-year-old Patricia Bowman and her friend Ann Mercer. Late in the night, mm-hmm. Smith asked if he could hitch a ride home with the women and probably invited them over, whatever. This wasn't just a residence, okay? This was the Palm Beach Kennedy compound where the Kennedy family vacationed and hosted some pretty incredible historical figures. This home was nearly 16,000 square feet. There's a pool, a tennis court, and 200 feet of beachfront. Can you imagine? Okay. And so I kind of dove into it a little bit. The Kennedys sold it in the early 90s, I believe, um, but it was most recently sold for $70 million. Career politicians make me fucking sick. Yeah, but JFK's dad bought it initially in the 30s for like $110,000. So, I mean, anyway, it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with you that it's gross, but so that night when they got to the compound, Smith asked Bowman to take a walk on the beach with him, Patricia. Mm-hmm. While on the secluded beach, Smith tackled and violently raped her. Patricia called friends to pick her up at about 4 a.m. When she got home, mm-hmm. she called a rape crisis center and went into police to get a rape kit done at the hospital. They found fluids mm-hmm. in her body and bruising on her body. Mm-hmm. Because of the Kennedy name, the shit exploded in the media and the trial was a full-on televised circus. This trial began on December 2nd, 1991. Remember, the, the incident happened in March and mm-hmm. the trial started in December in front of a six-person jury, four women and two men. I've never heard of a six-person jury. Me neither. Prosecutor Moira Lash put in a request to admit some pretty damning evidence. She had three other women who would testify that Smith had sexually assaulted them between 1983 and 1988. They hadn't made police reports at the time of their assaults, though. I mean, it was the fucking 80s. These accusers included a law student and a medical student. These are just details that added to their credibility at the time. It shouldn't matter what someone's job is or what they're doing with their life, like believe victims. But it was one of those things that made their accounts look more credible. The judge, Mary E. Lupo, excluded their testimony because the details of their cases were, quote, not similar enough to Patricia's assaults. So it's something in Florida where if it doesn't, it's like he sexually assaulted them Mm -hmm. and he sexually assaulted Patricia. But there was something about their stories that didn't line up enough. And like, I think sexual assault is the thing that lines it up. At the trial, Smith said that sex with Patricia Bowman was consensual, of course. Remember Anne, Anne Mm -hmm. Mercer, Patricia's friend that was there with her that night? Mm -hmm. She testified that after Smith and Patricia returned from the beach, Patricia was, quote, literally shaking and she looked messed up. She said she had been raped, end quote. Mm -hmm. Anne says that she straight up confronted Smith and asked him how he could have done what he did. And he just shrugged at her. The defense destroyed Anne on the stand, though. Of course. Yeah. For inconsistencies in her story, as well as for an appearance she made on A Current Affair, uh, that old tabloid news show, she was paid $40,000 for that interview. Okay. Her credibility was shot just because it looked like she was kind of looking for spotlight and being an opportunist. So they were able to shit on her during that, too. Mm -hmm. Even though this trial was super duper public. Patricia Bowman chose to remain anonymous at the time. She had her face obscured during the trial and was protected from being publicly exposed. Mm -hmm. She eventually went public, but at the time, I'm sure it wasn't only super intimidating to publicly take on the Kennedys, but also it would make sense to do that so that you wouldn't have those kind of accusations at you. Like, oh, look at her. She just wants to be seen. She wants to get attention for something or whatever. When she was on the stand and it was televised, there was like a 
dot over her face. Nobody knew who she was. So the way she was treated, Patricia was dragged for being out so late with a dude. Defense brought up the fact that she had a child and wasn't married, <gasps> gasp, and that she had had abortions in the past. The slut shaming and pre-Me Too fucking mentality here. This wasn't just on trial. This was happening in the media. And so the fact that the other victims that had come forward, Patricia's lawyer wanted to make a point that it's like, well, this one's a law student and this one's a med student. So you can't shit on them. Right. Because Patricia's not fucking credible because she's a hoe or whatever they were trying to paint her of. Right. I fucking hate that shit so much. I know. Dude. Never um, once would that uh, uh, a man on trial be like, somebody's like, you've slept with women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never, no, no way would that affect anything. Right. Imagine the lawyers that this fucking Kennedy had, right? Mm -hmm. So while she was on the stand, Patricia said of her experience, quote, I thought he was going to kill me. Jesus. Imagine feeling that way and then having, I can't, the strength that it takes to even say something. Yeah. I have no words because to, yeah, to be in a position where you're like, I thought he was going to kill me. And then you leave that situation and not only do so many people not give a shit, but they want to destroy you. Right. When cross-examined by the prosecution, attorney Lash asked her about her possible ulterior motives for pressing charges. And Patricia said, quote, what he did to me was wrong. I have a child and it's not right. And I don't want to live the rest of my life in fear of that man. Yeah. And I don't want to be responsible for him doing it to someone else. Okay. Defense attorney Roy Black fiercely objected and Judge Lupo called what Patricia said inappropriate and had her response stricken from the record why uh i don't know uh, um inappropriate she was literally asked what are your motives and she's like i want him exposed and held accountable so he doesn't hurt another person and they're like disgusting (laughs) you bitch that is crazy they can't bring in any of these prior victims there's nobody that can speak for patricia Mm -hmm. they're dragging her as a person so it's a he said she said pretty much at this point right but then the defense brought in all of this evidence testimony that favored smith okay witness accounts saying like oh somebody's mom was in the house and if she was actually screaming someone in the Kennedy estate would have heard it and everybody says they didn't hear anything. These people are so fucking ride or die for each other in every story about the Kennedys. It's always like, weird, they're coming for us again. Mm -hmm. And the judge was not having any implication of a Kennedy family cover-up. Patricia's lawyer does bring up the one thing that everybody's fucking thinking that maybe these witnesses, these witness accounts at the compound that favor Smith Mm -hmm. might not be as credible as their painting and is kind of implying a Kennedy family cover-up, right? Just something it's everybody's fucking thinking it right and the judge was not having it she says to her quote if you ask one more question along these lines you will not get away with it failure to abide by this instruction will result in legal action Mm. so every implication against patty was i don't know why i called her patty we're not friends um against patricia was being allowed it just seemed to heavily favor the kennedys right yeah of course yeah in his closing argument Roy Black, the defense attorney, said, quote, they want us to believe that this young man goes up there and rapes a screaming young woman under the open windows, not only of his mother, but his sister, two prosecutors from New York and the father of one of them who is a former special agent for the FBI. And it's like all of those people could lie for this 
privileged ass rich white guy. Mm-hmm. It, that's not far fetched either. Mm-mm. No, it's not. So it took the jury less than one hour and 20 minutes to reach a verdict of not guilty. He was acquitted on all charges. Fucked up, not fun fact. Smith's lead defense lawyer, Roy Black, who I just mentioned, mm-hmm. married juror Lisa Haller in 1995 he married a juror from this trial what the smith guy the lawyer his defense attorney married one of the jurors that seems that would make me go what yeah weird in 2004 smith was accused of sexual assault again by a former employee at the center for international rehabilitation a place that he had founded to help victims of landmines um it was kind of his life's work but he was accused of sexual assault and she brought forth a civil suit which I'm guessing she did a civil suit because the assault happened in 1999 and she came forward in 2004. So I'm wondering statute of limitations stuff or whatever. Mm. He denied it, of course, and said, quote, family and personal history have made me unusually vulnerable to these kinds of charges. Mm -hmm. Smith ended up resigning from his position there and a spokesperson for the organization admitted that there had been two other cases with female employees that had been settled prior to the 2004 case. But then the 2004 case, it ended up getting thrown out the next year anyway. Hmm. So this guy has had multiple, multiple, multiple accusations and faced zero consequences. Right. Mm. So awesome. All right. So next week we got season four, episode 18, Desperate. It's just about me in high school. (laughs) (laughs) So a little boy watches his stepmom almost die, but is too scared to talk to the police. Mm, Fuck. Okay. It'll it's be gonna fine. be fine. Back to kids. All right. He's not getting hurt. He's just okay. Well, maybe. Hopefully, well, I don't know. we'll see. All right. Uh, fucking rate and review us. Toss us five <laughs> stars or get the fuck out of town. Bye bye bye. <laughs> Email us at svpod at gmail or send shit to our fucking P.O. Box, which is P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin 53532. Check out our Instagram at SVU Pod and join the Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad. I fucking love it. Also, hashtag a little bit loud. Indie Pods, a little bit loud. Join our fucking Patreon. Yes. Get yourself up in there. So let's see. We just recorded for two hours and 20 minutes this episode on... I'm gonna start putting the timestamp for the Patreon when Mm -hmm. I post it. Yeah, I'm going to put both timestamps so people see like some episodes are 10 minutes longer for the Patreon. Some episodes are fucking 30 minutes longer, mm-hmm. depending on what kind of shit we get into. Jokes that go for way too fucking long. Yeah, you're um, going to want to hear the Patreon version the Patreon of, of this of episode because <laughs> it got wild. You know, I'm going to cut out all that fucking. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about this like insane, intense 45 second fight, legit fight me and Tosh got it into. It was um, I've never called you Tosh in my entire life. I can't believe I, just I said liked that. it though. Okay. I like when people that are close to me call me that. But now, if you do it again, it's going to feel forced. Yeah, I think I just accidentally didn't say that. Yeah, I wasn't trying to. Yeah, so check out our Patreon. Also, we have that's those aren't the only bonus episodes that we have. We have friendship boats too, which are fun. And the next one we're doing is tasting yummy treats from Australia. I have had that box sitting in my house since last week when I picked it up, and 
I haven't tried one thing. I know you're like, I know you're not supposed to, but I really want to. I can't imagine. Yeah. And since we're talking about Patreon, just a little reminder to the new Elite Squad patrons, we have to send out, no, I'm sorry, we get to send out personalized videos. So check your Patreon email and your personal email and check the junk and stuff just to see if you got a message from us. Check the junk and stuff. Check yeah, because we get uh, information from you. We stalk you a little bit and then we send you a nice welcome video and it's not creepy or anything. We show up at your work streaming at the top of our lungs. <laughs> Love you. Bye. bye. So in the precinct, in the precinct, in the precinct, friends in the precinct, to- make sure when you shower, you got to wash every precinct. <laughs> Gross. You don't want to get an infection. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I didn't know if that was gross. It was. It was. <laughs> it's 2017. Everybody's eating ass. <laughs> and to our elite squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Marissa M, Elkie H, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Andrew Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex. Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, Ursula S, Emily A, Kate H, Uyunga, Nicole R, Julia P, Sapphire, Kayla, Allison B, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia B, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear, Bear. Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Laura D, Laura I, Sarah M, Angela D, Mac, and Louise M. We love you guys. We fucking love you. Thank you for everything. Thank you for everything. You guys mean everything. And we love that for us and you. And we're together (laughs) every day. All right. (laughs) 